0: Oh, and there's a variety on the Cochran stand, too. Stewart.
1: First. And Harriet <laughs> Quimby says...
0: Well, I heard that.
1: First American.
2: Hey, how about that? Hey. Oh, I can hear you.
0: (laughs) Isn't that nice?
2: Yeah. (laughs) It it helps. Okay, there may be, just for your knowledge, I'm at the office. I am not in my office. I am actually in the training room.
1: Okay. You're in the closet? Behind. Sounds like a little bit of an echo, so
2: a you're little th- bit you're in the closet we be styling I love when a plan comes together <clears throat> start it off okay hold on I have to drink coffee okay I probably should get rid of my gum too <clears throat> I'm sorry there was tuna fish for lunch and yeah it, it's like my cat breath is so bad it probably you guys can probably tell don't
0: don't share don't share no. don't need to know this is david kugel from kelleher auctions and you're listening to stamp show here today the most exciting informational service available within
2: the philatelic community look at them madam have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful
0: I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps.
2: Oh.
0: Oh, 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 This is the gentle art of philately, otherwise known as stamp collecting. Here's a pile of stamps carefully culled from swap meets and garage sales. Rufus, what are you thinking of? Oh, I was just thinking of all the years I've wasted collecting stamps.
2: Oh, like stamp collecting, that's alright, that's quite a nice hobby, that. Yeah, but it's not enough. Don't you understand? I'm lonely. I'm so terribly lonely.
0: All right, Homer! You beat those stamp Nazis with good old-fashioned American complaining.
1: Homer, if it weren't for you, we'd be at the mercy of weekend philatelists.
0: You know, why didn't you just say stamp collectors? Because I'm
1: tired of dumbing myself down for you.
0: From Spain and two from Japan, I got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan, I got a planet from Poland, but none from Sudan, I'm from Fiji or Uzbekistan.
1: Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.
2: Live from a secret airstrip in the South Pacific, this is Stamp Show here today, episode number 139.
1: I'm Cash. The people who deal with me on a daily basis, those are the true heroes. I'm Scott.
0: Thank you.
2: <laughs> this is Tom. And I'm your stand Mr. Stone. If you can walk away, it's a good landing. So we are going to discuss women air pioneers. Not those pioneers. Today, we'll be looking at famous female aviators who have been on U.S. postage stamps. These include Amelia Earhart, the C 68, and Jacqueline Cochran, Scott number 3066, and Blanche Stewart Scott, C 99, first female pilot, and Harriet Quimby, C 128, first American female pilot, and Bessie Coleman, number 2956, who we talked about in a prior episode. On a prior episode, but there's a typo. I yeah, there's there are many typos. We try to overlook them. We're going with phonics.
1: Okay,
0: good thing the script is done.
2: I, I know, right? I typed cash. it. I typed it on my cell phone, and it has this
1: auto correct thing. And like do d o for some reason it always changes it to us u s. And it's like that makes no sense. They're not even close to each other. So there's little things like that, and I hate my phone, and that's life.
0: So you better pull me yeah. up for the new iPhone. Yeah.
2: No, 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 no.
0: <laughs> or just proof it. Uh, yeah, or just read it after you write it, at least once.
2: And Bessie Coleman, Scott number 2956, who we talked about on a prior episode about how the U.S. can make awesome stamps. But we'll be centering in on Miss Cochran and her 1996 50-cent stamp, Scotts 3066. Jacqueline Cochran was a member of the Women Air Force Service Pilots, also known as WASPs.
1: I get it. WASPs. Flying and furious, right?
2: It was a paramilitary aviation organization.
1: A paramilitary
2: one? Yeah, yeah, wait, wait. You'll see. Okay. Their motivation was to free male pilots for combat roles by employing qualified female pilots to fly aircraft from factories to military bases and to tow drones and aerial targets. Each WASP had a pilot's license. They were trained to fly the Army way by the U.S. Army Air Forces.
0: Doesn't the Army march people when they want to go from one place to another?
2: Yeah. Doesn't seem
1: like the Army would be flying too much. I guess this is the olden days, right? Oh,
0: oh, oh wait, you mean the Army Air Force? Yes, back, back it's the Army the, Air Force. Back when the Air Force was part of the Army.
2: Ah. More than 25,000 women applied for the WASP, and fewer than 1,900 were accepted. After completing four months of military flight training, 1,074 of them earned their wings and became the first women to fly American military aircraft.
1: I'm kind of curious if that success rate is the same or comparable of the men that were going through it.
2: Yes, it was, actually. Oh, yeah.
1: I sort of figured yeah. it would because you would get the most dedicated people if, you know, if you if you only 1,000 out of 25,000, you think you would get the, let's say, cream of
2: the crop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was actually, yeah, they did do a study on this, and they, it was basically no difference. Yeah. So. And, and these women were not trained for combat.
1: Because uh, no women were put into military roles except, uh, and we were listening to this on uh, World War I, Indy Nindale's, uh podcast. And the Russians were the only country that ever put, well, major com- country, they put females into combat regiments that actually fought. And mm-hmm. it was a really badass group, too, of women. These, these gals were really, really mean.
0: Yeah, what do you think? I think the
1: Vikings <clears throat> did it before that. Oh, I'm sure, but uh, show, show me the newsreel footage. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the Vikings had the shield maidens and everything else, but in World War II, we mm-hmm. were enlightened, so we didn't put women into the front lines.
0: Think Eastern Bloc Women's Olympics.
1: Yeah, but that's Olympics.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, but you big you, you figure
0: you take that kind of woman and you make an entire regiment an
1: entire regiment of Caitlyn Jenner's.
0: No, an entire regiment of women who are
1: oh, you know, big and stocky and oh, on steroids. The uh Russian ladies, uh, what was the name of the uh battalion? Uh Don? I forget the name of the d- battalion.
2: Oh, it was something it was like uh was it like Night Witches or something like it,
1: that? The Women's Death Battalion of Night Witches or something like. I mean, it had a really scary name, but you look at these ladies, yeah. and they first of all, you couldn't tell, you know, in their uniforms whether they were male or female, but they were. Oh women. yeah, they, the Women's yeah, they, they Battalion. they had their head
2: shaved and a whole bit. Yeah, of, yeah.
1: that's it. The Women's yeah. Battalion of Death. Anyway, so we won't let uh, we won't let women fly airplanes in combat. Got it.
2: Their course of instruction was essentially the same as that for the male aviation cadets, but the WASP received no gunnery training and very little formation flying and aerobatics. No aerobatics.
0: Wow, you couldn't fly through a barn.
2: (laughs) After training, the WASP were stationed at 122 air bases across the U.S., assuming numerous flight-related missions and relieving male pilots for combat duty. They flew 60 million miles of flights. They also towed targets for live anti-aircraft artillery practice and simulated strafing.
0: So they got shot at, but they weren't allowed to shoot back?
2: Yeah, that's not nice. That's not fair. (laughs) (laughs) No.
0: (laughs) I wonder how many got shot down.
2: Now, women in these roles flew almost every type of aircraft flown by the Army Air Force during World War II. In addition, a few exceptionally qualified women were allowed to test rocket-propelled planes, to pilot jet-propelled planes, and to work with radar-controlled targets. Mm. Now, the WASP were considered civil service and did not receive military benefits, unlike their male counterparts. Thirty-eight WASP flyers lost their lives while serving during the war, all in accidents. Because they were not considered military under the existing guidelines, a fallen WASP was sent home at family expense without traditional military honors or note of heroism. And the army would not allow the U.S. flag to be placed on the coffin of the fallen wasp. Oh, that doesn't now, seem fair. Mm-hmm. But they're paramilitary. Yeah,
1: okay. Now, now I get all, it.
2: Now I get it. Now, all the records of the wasp were classified and sealed for 35 years, so their contributions to the war effort were little known and inaccessible to historians. But in 1975, they fought to be recognized as veterans of World War II. um, President Jimmy Carter signed the GI Bill Improvement Act of 1977 providing that service as a WASP would be considered active duty for the purposes of programs administered by the Veterans Administration. In 1984 each WASP was awarded the World War II Victory Medal and those that served more than one year were also awarded American Theater Ribbon slash American Campaign Medal for service during the war. Good for them. Now, the 1977 legislation did not expressly allow wasps to be buried in Arlington National Cemetery. And that's because Arlington is administered by the Department of the Army and not the Department of Veterans Affairs. And the Secretary of the Army determines eligibility for Arlington burial. But in 2002, the Army reconsidered and decided that deceased wasps were able to be buried in Arlington National Cemetery. In 2015, uh, they reinterpreted the law in its own regulations and ruled that the 1977 statute did not mandate the burial of deceased wasp at Arlington. But then legislation in 2016 seemingly overruled the Army's interpretation. It was widely reported that wasps could again be buried at Arlington. Now, the legislation in the 114th Congress provides only for interment of cremated remains and not ground burial.
1: <laughs> uh, well, first of all, how many wasps are probably left for this to matter for? And second of all, seems like they're be reinterred. Being, seems like it's being pretty petty about this sort of thing, clearly. yeah. Mm.
2: But at the same time, I mean, they, you know, you had these women. They were very important to the war effort. And yes, they should be recognized. And the fact that they were... Basically, unheard of for 35 years.
1: Well, every it's all- every wasp that flew meant that there was another combat pilot that flew.
2: Mm-hmm. So, yeah,
1: kind of important.
2: Yeah, very important. On July 2009, President Barack Obama and the United States Congress awarded the wasp a Congressional Gold Medal. Three of the roughly 300 surviving wasps were on hand to witness the event. During the ceremony, President Obama said, The women Air Force service pilots courageously answered their country's call in a time of need while blazing a trail for the brave women who have given and continue to give so much in service to this nation. Every American should be grateful for their service, and I am honored to sign this bill and to finally give them some of the hard-earned recognition they deserve. On May 10, 2010, the 300 Surviving Wasps, Came to the US Capitol to accept the congressional gold medal from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and other congressional leaders.
1: Well that's interesting. I'm glad they got what was due them eventually.
2: Thanks to Facebook post from Ensign Sulu. That's right. George Takai brought this to our attention.
0: It's pronounced Takei, Just so you know. Sulu Take. George Takei. George He Sulu-t-kay. knows who
2: I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> yes. So, in reference to the Jacqueline Cochran stamp, yes, and uh, you know it's it's uh, it was a fifty cent stamp, and the only variety of note is the black engraving omitted variety, which is fairly scarce. Also, was the fifty cent rate for two ounces or anything, or I believe it was at the time. Yeah, I th- not- yeah, I believe it was. Actually, I think it was an airmail rate. Possibly, but because uh, it was just because a, it didn't have yeah. the airmail in, uh, inscription, they didn't include it in the airmail section. Yeah. Also, they uh, I, I do remember the, something about that when it came out.
1: They also showed the picture of her basically as an airplane racer, not as a WASP pilot, which is well, where a number.
0: She, a number of the WASP pilots did go and on after the war to become. Air show pilots oh, and yeah. stunt pilots, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that's one of the reasons. One of the reasons why she was chosen for the stamp is because she was fairly famous as a barnstormer and a air show pilot as well. Well,
1: well this was issued in 1996, so the records for the Wasps were still sealed. So that's kind of interesting. So her kind of most important contribution.
0: Was not even the impetus for the was not stamp. yeah.
1: It was just her. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, for those well, who know- for those who uh, don't know, you can pull it up. It's uh, if just to jog your memory, it's a picture of her, a lady on the left or on the right side of the stamp, and on the left side there is an airplane zipping past a sort of a race marker, and on the bottom it says honoring uh, Jacqueline Cochran. And the black omitted is those words are missing down there. Also, I think yeah. a little bit on the airplane, too.
0: So along with the Jacqueline Cochran, along with the Jacqueline Cochran stamp, uh, of the ones that were mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Harry Qu- Harriet Quimby stamp also has a variety. And oh, that was actually a perforation variety. Uh, uh, the major listing was done on a line perforator. And the variety, I believe, was slightly different. It was done on a comb perforator, so there's two different varieties of that as well.
1: Hmm. Is that like the forty cent stamp that had the same, or was this during the same time period? Or,
0: uh, yeah, there there were an, uh, a few stamps in the in that area that uh, that had that were done on two different perforators.
1: Yeah, it's not a major variety, but it is, there are two stamps. There are two spots in your
0: Scott's album for them, or? The perforation gauge is slightly different. It it runs roughly 10.9 to 11 for the line perforator and 11.2 for the comb perforator. And the easy way to tell, if you don't have two different stamps to compare to each other, the comb perforator the perforation holes actually meet at the corners of the stamps and they're never, uh, there's never a multiple punch as the perforation, the vertical and horizontal perforations meet at the corner. It's always a single hole.
1: Yeah. I saw that. I was uh, working with some Switzerland stamps and they had the same thing where the two different varieties are one is, uh, you know, left they're perforated left to right and then top to bottom and the holes fall wherever the holes fall. And then on the comb, it's not. The holes meet at the corners of the stamps. So on the corner, every single corner has a clean punch hole.
0: And, and the, re- so. the reason it's called that actually is because the perforation device actually looks like a comb. It's uh, It's got a, a straight line of perforations at the top and then rows that come down the height of the stamp and then when it, perfor- it so it'll perforate one row and then the next row is perforated using that same straight edge as the bottom for the first row mm-hmm. and so each successive row looks like a comb and so the the if they're not exactly aligned the size of the stamp can vary slightly with the positioning of that from one row to the next but the width of the stamp should never vary because the width of the comb, the tines in the comb, is actually a set width. Interesting. There's a lot, and that that technology was used on a lot of stamps uh, right through the seventies, in and seventies, eighties, and a little bit in the nineties as well.
1: Yeah, the one that I was bringing up is the 40 cent stamp, and I forget what the Scott's number on that was, but oh. C98. Um, C98, yeah. Because on that one, the difference in between the different per varieties is uh, 80 cents versus $6.50. And so that one has a very hefty premium for but finding the right the, ones.
0: But the gauge on that is also a little bit different.
1: Yes. One is uh, perf 11 and the other one is perf 10.5 by 11.5. Right. So, uh, but on average that's 11. But that's also a comb perf. So you don't even have to measure it. It's just how the perforations meet up on the corners.
0: There's also a set of the Olympics air males there i believe it's um c 101 to 104 or is it yeah that also have the same variety they're perforated either comb or line and so there's two slightly different perforation varieties listed on that stamp as well interesting or not if you're a collector (laughs)
1: Well, we have a lot of, uh, a non-collector was listening to the podcast with me when we were over with Stan and me and Dawn, and Hmm. they very much enjoyed the podcast, even though they have absolutely no interest in stamp collecting. So that was a, uh, I was
0: rather happy to hear that. Oh, yeah. We'll just turn them into stamp collectors. I've heard
2: that actually.
0: We'll turn them into stamp collectors. Maybe.
2: Trying.
1: (laughs) Someday. Well, anything else? Because I have an item after this.
2: And that would be?
1: Me and Scott were listening to uh, another podcast, The Competition. The Postal Traitors. Service Podcast. <laughs> which which is rather interesting. Um, they were talking about a lady who addressed, a st- uh, as a child, uh, wrote a letter to Muhammad Ali. And she addressed it, Muhammad Ali, Los Angeles, because she had seen Muhammad Ali coming out of a Los, uh, Los Angeles restaurant and said, Well, he must be in Los Angeles. And her parents said, Yeah, you know, don't get too upset, you know, don't. But then he wrote back. So the postman found Muhammad Ali's address and forwarded him this letter. And this letter, well,
0: it went on for how many years, Scott? Over 30 years, he uh, Muhammad Ali and this woman corresponded, and even after Muhammad Ali could no longer read and write, his wife would read him this woman's letters, and oh. and then she would write notes back, and uh, it was a very human story, but the the interesting one of the interesting parts was that the fact that the postal service actually researched the address and got the letter to where it needed to go. And they don't do that anymore. They just send it back.
1: Well, and the first response was in like a couple
0: weeks. Three weeks to the day, she said. Yeah. Wow.
1: So, so it you know, it, let's say it took a couple of days for him to answer it. That means that the post office worked pretty quick on finding Muhammad Ali where he was in Los Angeles and forwarding this letter. I think that's pretty impressive.
0: I mean, how many times have you been to a stamp show looking through a box of old covers and it's just a name and a city or a town, sometimes a state, not necessarily, and it gets where it's going, there's no other markings on the cover, uh, and uh, you know that it got to the recipient.
1: Yeah, but it's a little different when you're dealing with, like, the 1800s. When you have a town that has 500 people in it, and they go, oh, yeah, that's George. Yeah, but I've seen... This is Los Angeles. I've
0: seen letters in the late 19th century addressed to somebody in San Francisco. Well... Well, even in the late 19th century, San Francisco was a very large city. That it was, yes. Oh, yes. And for them to be able to find somebody in that city with a particular name... Are you sure it's the right person? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there are multiple people with the same names out there sometimes. Yeah, maybe.
2: How how many John Smiths in um, San Francisco were there at the time? Yeah.
0: I don't know. John Smith
2: at the mine or John Smith at the brothel? uh, There there (laughs)
0: might have been a lot more uh, Bob Lees, though.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but only one Muhammad Ali and even if there was more than one, I, the postman probably knew which one this person was talking about. But I, you see that sometimes with uh, movie stars. They'll address a letter to John Wayne, care of Columbia Pictures. And the interesting thing about that is none of them ever made it to the person you know they'd get to columbia pictures and columbia would never forward on the fan mail it was it was very interesting that you know this stuff would you'd think well yeah everybody like it's a you know a photocopy of a signature of a you know photo or something but no these these guys just never picked up their mail it was rather interesting and you see a lot of these that were just never picked up but Muhammad ali did and that's pretty cool Oh. It's, a, it's
0: a heck of a comparison considering I've been in Las Vegas for 10 weeks and I can't even get keys to my mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, that, that also says something about Muhammad Ali, because I think a lot of uh, famous or people that we would call stars today, sports stars, screen stars, just, I mean, they wouldn't answer a letter from mm. some random person. Yeah. Yep. They, they just would consider it a waste of their time. They're too busy.
2: Muhammad Ali is a class act.
0: Yeah. Well, I think he's from an era when a lot of people were like that. Yeah. That mail was important and mm-hmm. their fans <laughs> were important and they felt a responsibility to their fans that I think a lot of today's stars don't. Oh, I mm-hmm. think
1: you're, I think you're correct there. Well, have we hit the
0: petering out section? I think Peter's oh, no. already left the building. Why don't we just end?
2: <laughs> Let's do that.
1: Anything else, uh, Dawn?
2: Um, I'm over here eating birthday
1: cake. Oh, well, happy birthday to whoever's cake no. it is.
2: Yeah, Betty's. That's, that's why I had to step out. There was the singing of the birthday and ah. the, the, the cake part. I ah, got it. Mm -hmm. Scott,
1: you want to plug anything? You got anything to say? How about the stamp stamp club we were at today?
0: Oh, yeah. I went to the Boulder City Stamp Club in Boulder City, Nevada this morning and uh, had a great time. Bought a few items. Uh, I won't say what they were, but um, I found it uh, rewarding that I was able to add something to my collection, which is not... Uh, as common as it used to be, since uh, the cost is generally higher nowadays. <laughs> and uh, But uh, I am looking forward to Sescal next month. That's true. It's about five weeks away mm-hmm. in uh, Ontario, California. And I'm also looking to the new Las Vegas show the following week.
1: Oh, yeah. Why don't we plug our own show? That would be a good idea <laughs> since we, anyway, since they're listening, we may as well say it. Uh, October, uh, September twenty second, right?
0: Well, it's going to be in October because it's the weekend oh. after Sescal. Yeah,
1: October twenty second in Las Vegas. Uh, our first sat, or our first stamp show. Sunday. It's a Sunday. It is a Sunday. I thought it, it was a, a Saturday. Sunday. Oh well, there, there, there you go. Tom, you got anything to plug? Nope. Nope. Well, why don't we uh, end abruptly then?
2: Okay, let's end abruptly. To send to send Thank you for joining us. This has been Cash, Scott, Tom, and I'm your host, Don. Continue the conversation at Stamp Show here today on Facebook. You can ask us questions, see pictures of the stamps, make comments, and add to the conversation on Facebook. You can also ask the experts your stamp questions at bluepaper@gradingmatters.com. You can listen to all of our past podcasts at stampshowheretoday.com, podbean.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And as always, keep collecting. This episode
0: of Stampshare Here Today is brought to you by the Philatelic Book of Secrets, the book that teaches you about re regums, color varieties, and much more. Get yours for $10 at www.philatelicsecrets.com today. Hi, this is Bob Prager with Gary Poser Incorporated, and we're in Long Island, New York, in New Jersey, and our philosophy of Gary Poser Incorporated is this, we would rather pay very fair prices On nine out of ten collections that we look at versus trying to just offer very low prices on one out of two and making a big score. That's never our philosophy. So if you want to be treated fairly, please give us a call anytime at 800 323 4279. And again, my name is Bob Prager.